All right, let's stand for the reading of God's word this morning. Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and nine feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And then a herald shouted out, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So, At the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship that gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. The decree also states those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage, and he ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. And when they were brought in, he said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or worship the gold statue I set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, awaken your church and help us to stand in the power of your Holy Spirit. And everyone said, you may be seated. All right. Good morning, everyone. Listen, last time I was up here filling in, I was in my workout clothes, and we had some barbells and, and uh, a, a bench press, and we were talking about, you know, selfie girl and pro bro, and we're having a good time w- working out our salvation. And uh, if you've been around Calvary at any length of time, or you've been to USO show, you know that I'm all about having a good time, right? But today's not that message. We need to have an honest conversation about something that's affecting all the followers of Jesus around the world. And my heart is breaking, and I know that yours is too. And I think it's time that we talk about what's going on in the world. This is probably the hardest message I've ever had to preach. So if you're visiting here this morning for the first time, um, just come back next week, okay? All right. 
So sitting here in an air-conditioned building on our padded seats, you know, it's not difficult to read this passage. We know the outcome of the story, and many of us have heard it and celebrated it all our lives since we were little kids in Sunday school. The story of those three Jewish men is not new, but it is now. I want to tell you about a 17-year-old girl named Jilan. Jilan watched ISIS take control of her country, and eventually they took control of her town, and then they took Jilan. You see, Jalan was a beautiful girl, and she had green eyes and very rare blonde hair. And so she was separated out from the less attractive girls, singled out for special rape treatment before being put for sale in a sex market. And after enduring endless inhuman abuse, Jilan lost hope. And so she slashed her wrists in a bathhouse in Mosul. And after she committed suicide, the ISIS fighters threw her body into the garbage dumpster. And her sister, Jihan, also committed suicide a few days after she was captured and transferred with other girls to Al-Raqqa, the IS capital, in order to be sold at market. And their pregnant mother also had been captured, and she gave birth to a child in a cave. And she was freed recently, and she returned home as a madwoman after the suicides of her daughters. And as if that wasn't enough, they executed six of their siblings and their father, and they arrested 20 family members. Gee, Lon's story is just one story. More than 150 girls in that same situation have committed suicide after being captured and given as spoils of war or sold as sex slaves. Most of the girls slash their wrists or hang themselves with the hijab that they're given to wear. Some of them just throw themselves from the vehicle as they're being transferred. And many of the bodies of these girls are then fed to dogs in the sight of the other girls so that they will be afraid to do the same. What you're looking at on the screen up there in that box is a menu. It's a menu for sex slaves in Arabic. And here's the translation. Islamic State in Iraq, in the name of Allah, most gracious and merciful, we've received news that the demand in women and cattle has sharply decreased. And that will affect Islamic State revenues as well as the funding of the Mujahideen in the battlefield. Therefore, we're making some changes. Below are the prices for Yazidi and Christian women. The price for a Yazidi or Christian woman between the ages of 40 and 50 is $43. The price for a Yazidi or Christian woman between the age of 30 and 40 is $75. The price for Yazidi or Christian women between the age of 20 and 30 is $86. The price for Yazidi or Christian women between the age of 10 and 20 It's $130. Excuse me. And the price for Yazidi or Christian women between the ages of one and nine is $172. A 
customers are only allowed to purchase three items with the exception of customers from Turkey, Syria, and Gulf countries. Obey and follow the rules of the Islamic State or you will be killed, dated October 16 of last year. What is happening? Do you feel like I do? I mean, you're watching the newsreel and it's like everything is coming apart at the seams, right? Christians are being slaughtered and beheaded and killed, children buried alive, crucified. One in four of the world's Christians live in a country hostile to their faith. And the Center for the Study of Global Christianity reports that 100,000 Christians die every year. It breaks down to about 11 every hour because of our faith. Christianity globally is the most persecuted religion, mainly in Muslim-controlled countries or countries with a, a, a despotic tyrant like North Korea. But undeniably here, we're seeing a shift away from religious freedom towards a hostile stance towards faith. It's, you know, it's easy to think of persecution as being over there. It's something that happens somewhere else in countries where the language is different and the food is different and the culture is different. But here, military chaplains are facing reprisal or being forced out for praying in the name of Jesus when they're wearing a uniform. And through the Affordable Care Act, our federal government is forcing religious organizations to provide insurance for birth control and abortion, inducing drugs in direct violation of religious belief. Catholics in the military were told they could not even read the official Catholic response without facing a charge of sedition. And in the state of Texas, the sermons and emails of pastors were subpoenaed by a mayor who didn't like their activism in the marriage debate. In Kentucky, chaplains to prisons and juvenile detention centers were forced to quit because they would not comply with a new regulation. And it reads like this, DJJ staff, volunteers, interns, and contractors shall not imply or tell LGBTQI juveniles that they are abnormal or deviant or sinful or that they can or should change their sexual orientation or gender identity. Some of you who work in our education system, you face challenges or being forced to support things that you don't believe, or as a student, you're put on the defensive posture, right, because of your faith. In Sacramento, a 12-year-old girl shared invitations with two classmates to come to a biblical creation event, and then she was forced to confess her wrongheadedness about evolution. She was called to the principal's office and reprimanded and directed to write an incident report confessing her wrongdoing. And then the principal summoned her back to the office several times to rewrite that confession until it was satisfactory. And when Franklin Graham spoke on gay marriage in 2012, the IRS proceeded to audit the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and Samaritan's Purse. You see, the IRS has now been weaponized as a tool. And look, understandably, none of those things, none of the things that are going on here begin to compare with what our brothers and sisters are facing outside of the United States. America has been an exception, a bubble. We're an anomaly. We are a blip on the radar in time of unparalleled liberty. But we are undeniably falling backwards away from that hard-won freedom. And even our church has had to make the decision to stand with the Word of God regardless of political pressure or any legal or financial repercussions. Amen? I love you. 
You love me anyway, this is going to be a tough talk this morning. We're nowhere near the place that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, but we are making pre-decisions, aren't we? Just like they did. And that fiery furnace came at the end of a long string of trials and tests. And now they faced an impossible decision, and there was no time for a prayer meeting. There was no time to sleep on it and think it over. And I can't help but think of the decisions that our brothers and sisters in Iraq and Syria have to make when Muslim fighters roll into a defenseless village and they lay out the options, convert to Islam, pay the jizya fine, or die. And some of the men in that town, the Christian men who decided, well, you know, for whatever reason we can't leave, but we'll go and we'll pay the fine, they show up at the place designated to pay the fine only to discover when they get back home that their wife and their kids have been taken and given to the ISIS fighters. And I imagine that Christians there are wondering what those three Jewish men were wondering. Why is this happening? Why? Have you ever asked that question? I know you have. You've seen the video of the 19 Coptic Christians beheaded on the shore of Tripoli. And there's an answer to that why. Because it happened to Jesus. Here's what he said. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. And if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And if they obeyed my teaching, they would obey yours also. They will treat you in this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. You know, the official stated reason for the execution of Jesus was not he loves sinners. It wasn't that he's come to save the world and he's come to be an atonement for the sins of the world, all of which were true. But no, Jesus was lied about. His torture was shameful. He was crucified. And here's why, as an enemy of the state. And if it happened to Jesus, it will happen to his followers. Aware of it or not, the moment that you embraced Jesus, you became a target. And as American Christians, sometimes, you know, we're guilty of selling Jesus. You know, we talk about the wonderful attributes of our faith, a life in Christ. We're free from bondage. We're free from sin. We've we've got peace. We've got uh, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We've been given eternal life, all of which is true. It's a part of the gospel, but sometimes we leave out the hard truths. Dietrich Bonhoeffer reminds us of this when he says, the cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering, which everyone must experience, is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is the dying of the old man, which is the result of the encounter with Christ. And as we embark on discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death, and thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. So when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. The early church was persecuted because of their faith in Jesus, yes, but that was never the stated reason. It was always as traitors to the empire, enemies of the government, and as followers of Jesus, expect to be singled out as haters and bigots and fools who've been duped and impediments to progress. Good morning. (laughs) Mr. Happy is here again to bless you and cheer your day. Look, this is a war, right? Evil is out to extinguish the light. 
And Jesus said to Peter just hours before his arrest after the Last Supper, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. And if Jesus walked into this room this morning and he asked you if you would lay down your life for him, you'd probably respond just like Peter did. I'm with you, Jesus, no matter what. But you see, Jesus knows the future. And he knew that when all this went down and the persecution got real and it got personal, that Peter was going to crack under that pressure and he was going to cave to the fear. And Jesus knew that Peter would deny even knowing him over and over and over again. And Jesus warned him about Satan's attack on his faith. Before he left this world, Jesus promised, I go to prepare a place in heaven for you. But now Jesus is warning us that Satan has also prepared a place for us in his sifter. Satan wants to shake up your life. He wants to see if he can extinguish your faith like he tried to do to Peter's. And was Jesus mad at Peter for what he was about to happen? No. Jesus said, I prayed for you. Right now, you're either in a battle or you are about to face a battle that will test your faith like never before. And when it seems dark, remember, like Peter did, those words, I'm praying for you. Jesus is praying for you. Listen to this passage. So be truly glad There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Guess who wrote those words? A very much different Peter who had come through some things since that conversation with Jesus. And he makes a great analogy about gold here because faith that is not tested cannot be trusted. And gold is one of the most precious metals. Its beauty is desirable for jewelry. Its rarity makes it valuable to the global economy. Its pliability, its resistance to rust makes it useful for technology. Turn to the person sitting next to you and say, there's gold in you. There is gold in you. But can we also agree that there's also a lot of rock and dirt in there as well? So how's gold made? Well, first, an area of rock has drills, uh, holes drilled down into it, right? And then the explosives are put in there, and then the explosion fractures the rock and breaks it up into chunks. And then those chunks are run through a crushing machine, and they break it down further, and then the finely crushed rock is immersed in a cyanide bath. And the chemicals bond to the gold, which is heavier than the rock, so then the gold sinks to the bottom of the slurry, and the worthless rock and the scum rise up to the surface. So if you were to look at that chemical bath, all you would see is sludge. You wouldn't be able to tell that deep in the bottom is where that gold lies hidden. 
And then the sludge is scooped away, and the material at the bottom is put into an intense fire over a thousand degrees to burn away the impurities until liquid gold can be poured into the molds. And anytime gold is being repurposed from one use to another, it's got to go back into that fire again and again to be considered pure. And what was the words that, that Peter said? So when your faith remains strong through one trial, through a few trials, through many trials. God cares about your suffering. He wants to show his works and reveal his character in your life through the difficulties that you are facing. Character does not grow in easy times. Character gets formed through hardship, through overcoming obstacles, through enduring difficulties. So why does God allow us to go through this process over and over again? And Peter tells us the answer to that. It will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. That's awesome. You know, it's going to be a really big deal when Jesus shows up. All eyes are going to be on him. But he loves you and he wants to share that with you. Praise and glory and honor. You know, in one sense, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had an advantage because every day they got up and they put on Babylonian fashion and people spoke to them in Akkadian, not Hebrew, The music, the food, everything around them reinforced the fact that they were living in an environment that was hostile to them and to their God. And we need to hear this reminder from Peter. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And this one from Paul. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. I think sometimes... Our problem as American Christians is that we don't realize we're in a war, that we're in hostile territory. And maybe some of you are waking up to this. But if you're still like, well, you know, we're all just, you know, flag waving, apple pie eating, lemonade sipping, Walmart shopping, God loving Americans. Well, you probably believed that email that you got from Dr. Ungawa from Zimbabwe. He, he knows of a widow who just died who wants to transfer $100 million to your account if you'll just send him all of your information, right? Wake up, suit up, welcome to the front lines. And one more thing, pray up. Jesus prayed, which is pretty amazing considering he's the only sinless person. But while he was being persecuted, Jesus prayed Father, forgive them. Jesus commands us to love and to pray for those who persecute you. Got to be two of his hardest commands. And I think that's why he shows us how to do it. An Iraqi man by the name of Barazan Azizi, he said Jesus appeared to him in a way that has forever changed his life. Here's what he wrote. I was a devout Muslim. I often preached, but there was something missing, something empty about Allah and the Quran. And Jesus appeared to me in a dream and he opened my eyes. I found what was missing. It was his love and his peace. And my family thought I was joking and, and I kept you know, 
disputing with them, and after months of debate, then they threatened to kill me. God's grace has helped me overcome fear. There's other stories coming out of this area of the world, one of which is um, an ISIS fighter who had captured some Christians, and one of the men turned to him, and he said, I know you're going to kill me, but I want you to have this. And he gave that man his Bible, and then the ISIS fighter cut his head off. But he took that Bible, and he read it, and he said, Jesus appeared to me, and he's become a Christian. I believe prayer changes things. It changes us. It changes circumstances. It changes others. When we pray for our persecutors, it helps remind us that we were once Christ's persecutors, that we were the enemies of God until his love came and changed us. And prayer gets our eyes off of the temporary problems and onto the real battle because we don't wage war against flesh and blood, but against principalities of darkness. And that man, Aziz, said, I believe Satan creates chaos in the Middle East to stop the gospel from reaching our people. This is his, one of his last strongholds in the world, and he won't back off easily. You see, we're not in a war against government agencies or political parties. Praying puts your eyes on the real enemy and on the real Savior. So respond with faith. Those three Jewish men said, God will deliver us from your hand. God alone is the eternal king. And at some point in time in this life or the next, they knew Nebuchadnezzar was going to cease to be their king. Nebuchadnezzar's power, like all the rest of it in this insane world, is just temporary, and it will only last as long as God allows. But God's authority begins in eternity past and reaches into eternity future. And those guys understood that, and they were saying, today, one way or the other, we're going to see God, either because he delivers us through a miracle or because we die in the fire, and we see him when death takes us. But we want to make it crystal clear that we will never serve other gods. We will never bow to your idol. The line has been drawn. Here we make our stand and let the chips fall where they may. And what the devil fails to understand is when it seems like he's taken everything away from you, a secret strength rises up that you didn't even know you had until that moment, that crucial moment when suddenly you realize, I have nothing to lose, and with God I can move forward. Amen? And when that situation was unfolding with the golden idol and the fiery furnace, those three guys were not on Facebook or Twitter. You know, they weren't texting everybody, blowing up people's phones, complaining about how unfairly we're being treated by Nebuchadnezzar. And they didn't blast at Nebuchadnezzar like, man, you bat crazy king, God gonna smite you. No. No, they did respond with boldness, but they responded with respect. And this is what Peter encourages, respect everyone. Love your Christian brothers and sisters. Fear God. Respect the king. And it's easy to respect people we love, right? People who are kind to us, people who do things that we like and approve of. But when Peter is writing those words, respect the king, he's writing about an egomaniacal, mass-murdering, insane person who was killing Christians, the people in his church. Oh, but we love that self-righteous anger, don't we? We want everyone to know how we were wronged and victimized and let everyone get a piece of our mind. Remember, God is in control. 
even of the worst, most negligent, most corrupt authorities on this planet. And when you show respect for a position of authority, it makes the persecutor more open to listen. And because those three men, those three Jewish men, they respected Nebuchadnezzar, even though he was responsible for so much loss and pain in their lives, even though he was literally sentencing them to death, to be burned alive, when the miracle did happen, there was a bridge of relationship there for him to cross when he saw God's intervention. And the heart of the king was turned, and he was convinced of God's power and righteousness of these men because of their behavior under persecution. And I want the Muslims of ISIS to accept the love of Jesus Christ. I want every member of our government to come face to face with Jesus and choose him. Respond with joy. I get it. You think I need a checkup from the neck up? I should be 5150'd. I'm a fry short of a happy meal, right? It's counterintuitive to have joy in suffering, especially when you have not done anything wrong. But that's the point. Because if we're suffering for something wrong or stupid that we did, we kind of deserved it, right? That's called a consequence. And hopefully that kind of suffering leads us to godly sorrow. And then we improve our character, we change, and we don't repeat the behavior that landed us there in the first place. So even that kind of suffering can have a happy ending if we let it. But we're discussing suffering and persecution that comes not because we screwed up, but precisely because we're doing what is good and right, because we're sharing our love and our faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil about you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When you suffer for Jesus, he's reminding us that we'll find ourselves in the company of greatness. This morning, none of us are worried that when we drive home, men with guns are waiting to throw us out of our homes or sell our children or crucify us. But we must choose to stand for Jesus Christ in a culture demanding that we bow to its golden idols. There's a man in our congregation, hardworking man, has a wife and kids, he's faithful to God. And when his employer was about to overcharge a client for a job by adding fictitious hours to a job they finished in less time, he had a choice to make. I shut up and go along with this. I'm not the boss. He's the one who's lying, not me. I just work here. A lot of excuses in a situation like that, right? Like I got kids to feed, bills to pay, roof. This is what he did. He spoke up. We can't do this. It's not right. We cannot charge them for hours. We didn't work. And as a result, He was persecuted at work. They didn't fire him outright, but they cut down his hours until they were facing real financial difficulty. But he did not bow to the idol of financial security. Thomas Kempis said, Jesus has many who love his kingdom in heaven, but few who bear the cross. Many who desire comfort, few who desire suffering. He finds many to share the feast, few to share the fasting. All desire to rejoice with him, but few to suffer for his sake. Many follow Jesus to the breaking of bread, but few to the drinking of the cup of passion. Many admire the miracles, but few follow him in the humiliation of his cross. Many love Jesus as long as no hardship touches them. Many praise and bless him as long as they are receiving some comfort from him, 
But if Jesus withdraw himself, they fall to complaining and dejection. Let's never let that define us. During China's Boxer Rebellion in 1900, insurgents, they captured a mission station. It was a little missionary school, and they blocked all the gates but one. And in front of that one gate, they placed a cross flat on the ground. And then they passed the word on to those students inside that any who trampled the cross underfoot would be permitted freedom and life, but any refusing would be shot. They were afraid. They were just students. And the first seven students trampled the cross underfoot and they went free. But the eighth student, a young girl, she refused to commit that act. She got down on her knees next to that cross and she prayed. And then she stood up and she walked around it. And they shot her. And then every one of the remaining 92 students followed that little girl to the firing squad. So why? Why be faithful? You know, those three Jewish men, they could have said, you know, if everyone's bowing and we're just kind of standing here, we're going to look like idiots. You know, God knows our hearts. How many times have we compromised so that we didn't seem old-fashioned or lose respect or jeopardize our job? But when we acknowledge Jesus before men, he said, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. And do you remember the first martyr, Stephen? He stood up for Jesus, and what did he see? He saw Jesus standing up for him. And Jesus got into the fire with Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Jesus will stand with you. Are you going to stand with him? I think it would be appropriate if we all stand up this morning right now. We are being asked to bow before statues named freedom of choice and marriage equality and many others. And maybe you're scared, scared of looking like a fanatic. And that's the first tactic, isn't it? Well, you must be an extremist. You know, I actually saw a reporter interviewing one of the guys behind, you know, those videos that have been coming out about Planned Parenthood. And the reporter asked the guy, uh, are you guys violent extremists? And he was obviously confused by the question. I wanted to answer for him. Yeah, I saw violent extremists on those videos. They were the people who were chopping up babies and selling their parts. Look, no one wants to get labeled as a wacko. I get it. You might be afraid of persecution, but courage is about doing what's right even when you're afraid, right? Are you afraid? Are you afraid of rejection? Are you afraid of insecurity? Are you afraid of persecution? Your life is the evidence of faith. And does it say that Jesus is your God? Let's all close our eyes for a moment. Jesus is calling us. And some of you this morning, you're at a place of choosing and you're hearing and you're feeling the drawing of Jesus Christ. And if you would like to know his amazing grace for you in your life, the power of God's forgiveness, a life cleansed and redeemed and all of the record of your sins removed, 
eternal life being born in you. If that's you this morning, I just want to pray with you. Would you just lift your hand quietly? No one's looking around. I just want to pray with you.